Britt and I went away for the weekend in the middle of October, just a few days after I decided I was leaving. I only told her that I wanted to record a conversation in our hotel room at the Fairmont Bant Springs. As I set up the microphones, she poured the wine. It had been a quiet drive out. Not that we weren't talking. It was just quiet because we both knew that there were things that couldn't be heard that needed to be said. One thing that I love about Brit, she knows how to create a vibe. When we go to a hotel, there is an unspoken list of supplies we are bringing to make our room glow. There's candles, of course, but there's also Prosecco, a playlist, scented oil diffuser. We often bring our own pillows, my shoulder is hers, and always food. I call her Captain Snacks, and it's a badge earned, not given. I'm infinitely more in tune with my body now because of the time that we spent doing things to make us feel good. As much as I love that we helped each other relax and recharge, I think we both needed to do that so often because we were individually anxious. Combining our insecurities, her anxious and my avoided attachment style, our shoulders were always a little tight when we could have really relaxed into each other. Today was no different. She knew we were recording, that it was important, and that it would somehow change things for us. This wasn't the first time we'd had a specifically monumental reality-altering conversation. Taking a break, trying polyamory, recommitting to our relationship, along with all of the other self-discoveries that usually rekindle connection. But this was the first one that I had put microphones in front of us for. I had regretted not earlier capturing Brit's eloquence and heartfelt support. It was a side of her that few had seen in full glory. Over the last three years, I had witnessed an evolution of her finding her words, like a sunset slowly painting itself across the sky, incorporating an ever more nuanced palette of tones, her curiosity and hunger to find the right words, her choice to struggle through the discovery of new ideas until she better understands herself from that. It's such a gift. As she gathers new knowledge and cultivates the confidence in her talents for personal growth and deepening relationships, her gift for vulnerable and eloquent communication, and her unparalleled gratitude, she is going to unleash some wild and powerful beauty on this world. It's true for us all. Often, the area that we struggle the most with confidence is exactly where our gifts and talents are most blocked. If you don't think you're a talented speaker, that tells me far more about your confidence in being a talented speaker. It tells me nothing about the untapped depths of the gift you might have. Or for example, if you don't like the way you look, then it's time to start getting in touch with your body. Where in your life do you lack confidence? Let's get curious about that unexplored potential. We both took in the mountain view and completed the sound check. Her eyes were loving, warm, and wide. She knew this was important. Right then, the room service meal showed up. Thank you, Captain Snacks. And we decided to eat before we recorded. What timing. And then I laid it out. My tone fluctuating wildly between solemn, excited, firm, gentle. I would be leaving. I don't know how long I'll be gone. It's partly triggered by trying to escape COVID restrictions. It's mostly about moving on to the next version of myself. It would be the end of our romantic relationship. Once I leave, 
we should take space from each other for a while just to reset and recenter. There, I'd said it. For all her eloquence, she was relatively speechless, and I appreciated exactly the way that she responded. Upon receiving the news, tears streaked her cheeks, but she still managed to affirm my decision. This sounds so much like you. I guess we always knew this was coming, she said. I just didn't think it was going to happen so quickly. Neither did I. I was in shock too. After asking a few more questions and talking for a while, she said she really didn't want to record anymore or even talk. She didn't even want to hug. And I was proud of her for that in a strange way. Most people, I think, take it as rejection when someone withdraws. But I knew what was actually happening and it was such a gift to witness. She wasn't cutting me out. She was simply checking in with her own needs, with how her body feels, and listening to her own thoughts. She was going through the Rolodex of chemicals coursing through her bloodstream and developing the perfect cocktail of self-care to bring herself back to center. When something suddenly goes wrong or when there's a conflict, perhaps they are not pushing you away. Perhaps they are checking in with their own physical sensations, labeling their emotions and developing a strategy to recenter themselves. Or perhaps they're trying to do that, but they could use some support, your support, as they learn how to self-soothe. We can solve the issue later, but first let's literally catch our breaths and unclench jaws. Let's choose peace before we solve the conflict. And let's welcome the space needed to find the solution we're looking for. For a few minutes, we sat in completely different places in the hotel room. She didn't move from the table, but I sat on the edge of the bed. I was watching her eyes scan the mountain view, darting back and forth along the trees. She looked devastated. I thought of something that we might both need. Hey, would you like to meditate? She had these recorded meditations that we'd used a couple times that were life-changing for us. You can listen to them in the link below. We meditated, fell into each other's arms, and took deep, synchronous breaths together. Just now I had brought up the most difficult of situations, and yet as we both navigated this together, I felt as connected to her as ever. Obviously, this news set the tone for the rest of our evening in Banff. We changed and left for dinner. The entire evening ranged between delirious laughter and heartfelt sobs. We reminisced. We talked about what the next few weeks would look like and encouraged each other to ride the waves of emotion as they came. You know what, Josh? Brett said through tears, sitting at the bar of the bison. If we only have a few weeks left together, then I'd rather spend them celebrating what we've shared. Let's be even more present and loving than ever before. I'm here to help. It's going to be really hard for me, but I'm going to be there for you. I cried uncontrollably as the bartenders watched our emotional roller coaster all evening. I loved her so much, and a sense of relief engulfed me. We would be on the same team until the last possible moment. This intention guided us through the final weeks together. Each remaining evening with her was raw. Each conversation dug deeper, cultivating a gratitude and affection previously unknown to us both. Everybody says it's easier if you hate them after the breakup, 
But now that I've tasted it, ending on a high note with love and acceptance is the sweetest and most bitter fruit of them all. I told my closest friends over the next few days, recording individual conversations with most of them in my living room. The conversations were more emotional than I expected, but also enthusiastically supportive. The verdict was unanimous. This was the most me thing that they could imagine me doing. And as much as they would miss me, they were excited for me to have this adventure. I felt heard. I felt understood. Validated. But beyond that, I realized I had underestimated how much they cared about me. It's something that I have always struggled with, knowing and trusting where I stand with people. I've been surprised at some weddings I get invited to and then completely confused that they would ask me to MC. I know I care about them, but somehow I'm always surprised that I matter as much to them as I do. Something for me to keep exploring. Recording my friends, lovers, and family in a podcast-style conversation was a gamble. It can be uncomfortable to have a microphone shoved in front of your face and then be told relatively big news. I get that. Still, there were two qualities of my closest people that bolstered my decision to do it anyways. First of all, we have incredible conversations regularly, and a microphone won't be something that made them hold back. Second, the people I spend my time with, they enjoy being pushed outside of their comfort zones. And this was a relatively gentle adventure in the grand scheme of things. Plus, if they declined, that's fine. And if they didn't want me using the recording later in my podcast, that would be fine too. For me, this was a chance to show the world how eloquent and emotionally present my friends and family are, how vulnerable and thoughtful they can be. New people that come around my friends often say, I don't usually hear people talk like this. And that's not bragging, it's just true and it's relevant. And what I see for those people is that they hear us talk that way and say, I want that too. And then they raise their own standards for the kinds of conversations that they have with people they love. We had raised our standards for each other and because of each other. And I thought maybe we could share this with a wider audience of listening ears. We build people up. My podcast will be almost entirely based around the idea of spotlighting difficult, authentic conversations that inspire us all to speak more honestly about ourselves and with each other. Why can't we be more open with each other about what is going well and more importantly, what still hurts? I'm putting more of me out there and celebrating the people in my life that choose to do the same. Let's learn together. How much connection and peace do we miss out on by not basking in the warm love of those who give it to us freely? What depth and vulnerability do we miss out on by not telling loved ones how much they matter? How often could we speak a more powerful truth loudly and trust confidently in others when we hear them share theirs? I reflected on the conversations as they happened. Was this a slow goodbye or is this a fast one? It felt sudden and unexpected to them, as it did to me. But really, I would still be around for a handful of weeks. The combination of my sudden announcement and lingering presence, it seemed, made every interaction a little rawer, a little bit more meaningful. Anticipation of scarcity creates immediate value, and our quality time was now of finite supply. As Britt reflected closer to my departure, what if we all treasured each moment like this? What if we lived our whole lives this present and grateful? I had to raise my eyebrows. It's a noble and elusive goal. Constant present-mindedness and overflowing gratitude for our collective shared experience? That sounds exhausting. 
And that mindset, it might fly in the face of our craving for routine and stability. We become accustomed to certain people being there for us in certain ways, loving us consistently until slowly, sometimes that love loses its luster and devolves into unspoken demands on each other. It is often the threat of loss, real or imagined, that activates us enough to appreciate what we have. As my friend Gibby would say, this is real life stoicism. Contemplating the absence of someone while with them in order to value their presence more now. I told my mentors at work that I was leaving on an indefinite adventure, that I would designate my clients to other brokers at the firm, and that as fast as this was happening, I actually had very few other details or plans worked out. Josh, one mentor said, I knew you'd be telling us something wild today, and I was pretty sure that there was nothing you could say that would actually surprise me. Well, I'm not surprised. He wasn't surprised, but I was surprised at the support I received unconditionally from the whole company and really from everyone that I knew. I just kept expecting someone somewhere to tell me that this was stupid, misguided, irreverent, and a waste of potential. Whether at work or in my personal life, I thought someone might get offended that my actions speak out as a single vocal note against further building upon the cracked foundations of the capsizing society we have normalized. Surely someone out there thinks that I'm an idiot and wants to tell me? Where are they? I think no one's calling me out yet because we all have this sense that there's a lot of things that are not going well in this world and not enough people doing not enough about it. And so while some people don't want to speak up, they actually are recognizing that the people that do need to be supported. Even if they don't get everything right all the time, we need more people willing to have hard conversations in public. And if I'm leading the charge on that, I feel like other people are watching me do it and saying, yeah, let's do that. We need that. And so nobody's calling me stupid yet. Maybe it's just not to my face. And maybe they think I sound like some sort of doomsdayer. But really, I'm just passionately concerned about the trajectory of humanity right now. I think there's more to talk about. I think there's things we sweep under the rugs. And I'm ready to toss them outside, shake them off, mop the floors, and start getting real about where we're at and where we're trying to go. So I guess, why would anyone shame wanting to have hard conversations better? And anyway, I work with exceptional humans, the same as all the other people in my life, and I received nothing but well-vocalized support. Many of the partners started telling me about the times that they had left it all behind in some way and how meaningful that experience had been for them. The juniors told me that they hoped that they'd be able to do the same thing one day. Over the next week, I methodically went through each client and assigned them over to the colleague best suited for the needs and personalities. I love my clients and their continued quality experience was so important to me. They were left in the best hands. My firm wished me luck and left the door open should I return. Equally as pressing, I had some substantial financial obligations to tend to. I had a leased vehicle, a 2019 Volkswagen GTI, and that lease ran for another three years. I couldn't take the car with me and I didn't want to, but until I found someone to take over that lease, I would be stuck paying for it each month. Worse, I would have to ask a friend to help me tackle the logistics of selling and transferring it once I was on the south side of the border. I listed the hatchback online and crossed my fingers that someone would take it in time. 
I had also just signed another year long lease for my condo two days before I had decided I was leaving two days before. And I had really meant to stay there. Over the last year, I had made it into a warm and inviting home. Everything was intentionally purchased. I had invested in quality since this was the furniture I planned to own for years. Now I was faced with having to terminate or transfer my lease for here too, and sell all my furniture at cringeworthy discounts and fast. A week after deciding to leave, I mentioned to my neighbor, Andre, about my impending departure. Bro, he said in his thick Russian accent, do you remember what I told you a few weeks ago? I suddenly did, but he repeated it anyways. If you ever want to move out, he echoed, I want to take over your lease. Coincidentally, his mom was moving to Calgary at the beginning of November, and he had already been looking at condos in the same building to keep grandma close to grandchild. He came over, looked around, and told me his mom would most likely buy all the major furniture too. What a stroke of luck. I suddenly didn't have to worry about selling or moving most of the big stuff, and the landlord would let me walk from the lease now that I had a replacement. A massive win for everyone. Around this time, the US government surprised me with a policy change, and stress levels were immediately amplified. While the Canadian government would let me leave the country until November 30th, the American government would now only let me into the country before November 7th. A timeline that had felt rushed at seven weeks now had to be compressed into a total of four and two of them had already passed. This change didn't make me even remotely hesitate about my decision. After a moment of shock and even anger, I easily laughed at the magnitude of the chaos that I was taking on, the steepness of the mountain I was climbing, and I doubled down my efforts to make this happen. I would not be stopped by policy changes, laws, criticism, or fear of failure. Bring it on. I am out of here. I mentioned to a friend that I needed to get a rushed passport. Oh man, he shook his head. I just went through this last week. I didn't realize that in order to get a rushed passport, I would have to show up before the passport office opened, wait in line, and hope to be one of the first 10 people. They don't take walk-ins and people are booking appointments weeks out. I don't have weeks. I need this passport in 14 days. The next day, I arrived at the passport office an hour before it opened. I couldn't be sure how many of the people that were there were specifically for passports, so I stuck it out until 8.30. I was the 11th. They told me to try again tomorrow. I shook my head and smiled. The next day, I showed up two hours before opening, and I was the first person in line. I sat on the floor of the Government Canada building and went through my to-do list, trying to make sure there wasn't anything I had forgotten. I also got the sense that there were a lot of people in line for similar reasons as me. We weren't going to get trapped here. A week later, after limited interest in the car, I called the Volkswagen dealership. Hey, I'm looking for someone to take over my lease, but I'm hoping that we can do all the paperwork in advance because I actually won't be in the country for very long. Where are you going? What are you doing? Dylan, the sales guy, asked me, genuinely curious on the phone. I told him the same thing I told everyone. And as much as the words flowed off my tongue, I still had relatively no idea what they would translate to in some future reality. I'm going to live a nomadic existence, writing and speaking about self-awareness, human connection, and digging into difficult conversations. Dude, that is so awesome. I have so many questions. Come into the dealership, he said. I'd love to chat more and see how I can help. Sure, what the hell? 
The next day, I went to see Dylan, a 22-year-old starting to ask big questions about his own life. For nearly a couple hours, we sat at the sales floor desks talking about life changes and ideas he was contemplating. Why does my career seem to be working out, but my relationships aren't? I want to meditate, but how do I block out all the thoughts? How do I cultivate motivation? It was a great conversation, and I shared some thoughts that seemed to resonate. We have to learn how to have relationships and train ourselves to get better at them, just like we do for work. Don't try to quiet your mind until after you have listened to all the repetitive thoughts and written them down. Motivation comes from finding a reason why you would rather do something new or why the old is completely unsatisfactory. You need to build leverage. After some time, I thudded my palm gently on the desk. Okay, Dylan, now I need your help. How do I make this car go away? Oh, don't worry about that, he smiled. I'm going to get the manager to tear up your lease. I want to be one of the good news parts of your story. Another miracle. Sure enough, a few days later, I dropped off the car, paid nothing to terminate the lease, and he wished me luck on my adventure. I hadn't given much thought to where I would start my adventure or how I would get around once I got there. I figured it would be warm in California, and while being homeless is not easy, it's certainly an easier place to be homeless. California has over 160,000 homeless people, more than any other state in the USA, and for good reason. The winters are warm, the beaches are plentiful, and in a state where everyone moves there to try to stand out, it's easy to blend in. I didn't have much money saved up, so I wouldn't be operating with much of a daily budget. I put some feelers out to my friend Alex in LA who might know someone I could stay with for a while. We hadn't met up in person yet, but we started talking every month or so just about what we were learning about, what we were struggling with, what we were aiming towards. I was just as surprised as she was that we might be meeting so soon in person. She said she'd ask around for somewhere for me to stay. But how will you get around once you're here? I told her that I would count on buses and hitchhiking to get around. I could buy a vehicle, but no, buying a vehicle would probably just get too expensive right now. My goal, just get across the border and figure out the rest later. Two of my best friends, Matt and Paige, who had supported and encouraged me to lean into what felt right, they surprised me with the biggest gift that I did not expect. They offered to lend me their 1992 Volkswagen Westphalia Eurovan until next spring to get me started on this adventure. It led to a really important and thoughtful discussion about the risks and potential complications. But they were so assured in what I was doing. And Matt told me, Josh, our friendship is not on the line. I would light this van on fire if it meant protecting our friendship. I hoped I wouldn't have to hold them to that in some way. I hadn't even bothered imagining such unnecessary generosity from anyone. While I hadn't spent much time thinking about where I would be going or how I would get there, this changed everything. I would now be free to travel throughout the 48 contiguous states, meeting new communities of people, exploring different ways of life. I now had a home on wheels, and this idea alone got me infinitely more excited about the possibilities. I shared individually with family that I would be leaving indefinitely and on relatively short notice. My mom tipped off by me asking if she had a copy of my birth certificate so that I could get a passport, wasn't completely shocked. When I told her, I realized I already sensed some distance between us, even though I hadn't left. 
We talked more about current COVID policy and less about what the trip would look like. And we planned to spend some time together over the next two weeks. My two sisters were supportive and the same glow of gratitude and nostalgia warmed each conversation, final dinner, and heartfelt cry as the departure came nearer. My younger sister and I had the best conversations on record and I felt the intensity of her support and the weight of her sadness in full force. She has made her own intrepid push for independence over the last few months by moving out of her mom's house despite the logistical confines of a wheelchair and she successfully coordinated the daily help required to have a fulfilling and exciting university experience. She would not be held back by her disability and her dreams were massive. She was wildly inspirational to me and I was following her example. I expected more of myself because she expected more of herself. The older sister, but still younger than I, and her husband have three daughters and a son, all aged five or younger. They are easily among the best parents I have ever met and witnessing them parent is a marvel to behold, patient, communicative, playful, disciplined, and enthusiastic. I don't know how they do it, but I am glad they do it. Over the last couple of years, and especially over the last few months, I had started spending regular time with the whole family. I was the cool, weird uncle, but I took each of the girls on dates. We went go-karting, painting birdhouses, or visiting the hippos at the zoo. After I left, I would miss out on the most by not seeing these kids. They grow up so quickly and I don't know how long I'll be gone, so I don't know how much I'll miss. If there were softer, earlier signs of the resentment from my brother, I miss them. 12 years younger than I and extremely intelligent, he suddenly made it clear that he thought I was selfish and manipulative. Before I go on, it's worth noting that I share this because he might be right, and I'm interested in exploring that idea. After all, I focus almost entirely on how choosing the right words creates reality. Isn't that manipulative? And I was currently in the process of choosing myself above all else. That sounds kind of selfish. It was crushing to unexpectedly hear this from someone I had always been there for whenever he needed me. Instead of recording a conversation about me leaving, we planned a call so that I could hear what events and circumstances had formed this previously unexpressed opinion. And to understand how this got to the point where it was building for months or years without him bringing it up. I listened and wrote notes as he spoke. He echoed some judgments shared by my family about non-monogamy and added concerns that certain people were in my life because they would agree to any terms in order to receive whatever crumbs of me I was willing to share. To him, they deserved more and better. I saw it as my brother defending people from a distance and that they didn't need defending. People need to be empowered to stand up for their own needs. While I didn't think that his conclusions were accurate, given the limited insight that he could possibly have about the inner workings of my relationships, I still stewed on his opinions for a long time. I had, after all, just recently gotten to a place where I was confident that the people in my life chose to be there because they loved me, because I added value to their human experience, and that I was becoming the most authentic version of myself that I had yet uncovered. The whips he lashed across my back traced perfectly along the scars of wounds I had confronted all summer. And at the same time, by actively choosing lifestyles and priorities that do not conform to the social norm, I will always be inviting criticism 
and I welcome it. I have always respected my brother's opinion. And really, I was proud of him for finally speaking up about how he felt about me and my choices. Flexing your opinions and pushing back on the environment is just a normal part of growing up. And what a wonderful opportunity for reflection he had provided me. I went back to the people in question and asked them if that lens rang true. It led to good conversations and a confirmation that my loved ones are grateful for the dynamic that I bring to our relationship. Still, I'll continue to examine how I want to show up to the world and the fundamental basis of connection that I offer and receive. As we change, so too will the relationships around us. For that reason, we must be willing to make difficult choices about how we want to change and who we are willing to change for. There will always be those who are, in some way, accurate in their perception. We should listen closely when our loved ones speak. I share this because I don't want to paint myself as having it all figured out or something. People get frustrated with me all the time. I am subject to the accusations and doubts of others, just as you are, just as everyone is. What if we welcomed those judgments as opportunities for reflection, as a check-in, and as an invitation to mutual understanding with those we love? What if we cultivated enough strength to receive the accusations with curiosity rather than defensiveness, and didn't hold the opinions of others against them? I am thankful for the boldness of others that they share exactly how they feel with me. I would want nothing less from anyone, even if it's hard for me to hear. We talked about how when you change, your relationships will change. So are you willing to sacrifice the stability in a current relationship in order to explore parts of you, share opinions, and otherwise experiment with new boundaries or lifestyles? What would you do for yourself if the judgments and rejections of others were not a risk? What would you say to others if you knew that they would receive it with gratitude? What if the people we love surprised us with an outpouring of support when we chose to honor our individual experience? The condo was off the books, the car was gone, the real estate career was resolved, and the passport was in my hands. I even had a means of transportation lined up, if not a destination. It had been exhausting to tackle everything, and yet energizing to witness a graceful unfolding of support from loved ones combined with miraculous solutions. The major hurdles of untangling were now hurdled. Any one of these changes could have felt quite substantial. Changing your job, city, a breakup, a family conflict, being threatened by your government. All of them at once? Now that's something that I wouldn't be able to fully process until the hypnotic dashed lines of the highway allowed for feeling it all. Edging ever closer to the hard deadline of November 7th, I still needed to navigate the final challenges and spend quality time with my closest people. I still had to solve, where was I going to fly? How do I ship the van across the border? And what things do I need to pack into it? On a personal level, I needed another evening with Britt to celebrate our extraordinary relationship. I needed to learn some valuable wisdom from my mother that I had been meaning to learn for years. And I needed to celebrate the closest circle of friends over a last supper. If I was lucky, I might even get to have a goodbye party too. Most heartbreakingly, I also wanted to spend one more day with my 89-year-old grandma. 
When I told her that I was leaving, she was as excited as I was about the quality time and just as crushed about the finite hours we would have before I left. We had grown so close in the last year and in her words, we might not see each other again. It felt as dramatic as it did accurate and I was once again confronted with the absurdity and rapidity of saying goodbye to this wonderful version of myself and the laws put in place to make this even more permanent than I might be prepared for. So began the final few days before I would clumsily cross the border into a novel, ambiguous existence. <laughs>